0: You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit HardinBaptist.org. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. This past year, I turned 40, and for my 40th birthday... Trying to think like, I could do something great because like 40 is not a really great age to turn. And so I need to do something epic, fun, that'll make it a good thing. So I decided uh, to try to hike 40 miles in some of the best places in the world. So got some buddies together and we went to Yellowstone and Glacier and we did 40 miles of hiking in about three days. And uh, it was just spectacular. And the reason I wanted to go, especially to Glacier, is I love nature. I love the outdoors. I love national parks. And Glacier, the tagline is the crown jewel of the continent. In fact, I got a picture of just one that I took. Um, I could show you a whole bunch, but that's actually a picture. That's not a painting. It's not imagination. That is the real place. And you don't see it, but just off the hill, just a bit, there is a huge grizzly bear eating. And uh, didn't eat us, I was good, so I was eating, chilling. But it was just unbelievable to see um, Glacier National Park. Like everywhere we're looking, we're taking pictures, we're videoing. Just cannot believe the beauty and the majesty. And I think it's named appropriately the crown jewel of the continent. Like of all the places, if you could go somewhere for one day, go here. It's the crown jewel. We're doing uh, Genesis 1, and in Genesis 1, we've learned that God is creator and that God created a good creation. So if you look at all of his creation over the span of what he did and all that he created, the, the cosmos, the universe, everything you see on planet earth, all that he made, what's the crown jewel? What's the best? What's the pinnacle? What's it all pointing to? We don't have to guess. God actually tells us the crown jewel of his creation is you and me. It's us, human beings. We are the only ones made in the image of God. And in fact, the whole narrative of creation, the way God arranges these six days of creation, it's all pointing to day six. It's all summarized, the crescendo, the the grand event. It's on day six when God makes man. In his image. So let's go there to day six of creation, Genesis chapter one. And we're going to look at verse 26 through 28. If you have your Bibles, you can stand out of reverence for the word of God as we read together what uh, Moses records God saying about what he did in creation. Here's what we see in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us see the wonderful way you made us. God, I pray that you'd help us to see what does that mean that we're made in your image? How do we live up to that? How do we live out of that? And God, we just thank you that you made us... In your image. God, I pray we would feel that. We would worship you. We would thank you. And we would truly want to be your representatives who reflect you. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. So last week, we dealt with the creation, God creating the world in six days, and so we saw this, this rhythm of creation, and we're not going to read it in its entirety today, so you might have forgot there is a rhythm, there is a cadence to God's creation. He is doing certain things in certain ways, and what strikes us on day six is the pattern is broken and god breaking the pattern is going to speak to us that hey something unique is happening here something special is happening here the crown jewel has happened and that is the creation of you and me the creation of human beings so i want to draw your attention just to the pattern so we're not going to have to read it all but just look at the pattern you can just see it's it's very symmetrical uh, it all looks sort of the same we see in verse 3 and god said let there be light Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse. Verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm and let the birds fly. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. So we're seeing a pattern. And God said, and then let there be, or let the earth bring forth. So there's this very pattern of and, God said, let there be, and then there was. And so you see this pattern all throughout. So if you're reading, you notice this pattern, and then all of a sudden, you get to verse 26, and you see there's a break in the pattern. It doesn't say, and, God did another thing. It doesn't say, and, what does it say? Then. Which tells me that all of the ands, have been weaving together, all of the ands have been in a rhythm, they've been coming and going, and they're all building to this point. It's like and, 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 then. Now we're ready, curtain is drawn, stage is set, then we're ready for the moment that God has been waiting for, that God has been preparing for, there is a then. Something different is happening, unique, special, over all the rest of creation. So what is the then? Then God said, notice the other break in the pattern, let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, that's different. It's God said, let the earth or be. Now God said, Let us make something. And not just something, let us make that something in our very image. So the us, we've talked about it before. I think it's a clear picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us, the triune God, creator God, is making us human beings in his very image. So what does this tell us about ourselves? Well, it tells us that we are the crown jewel of God's creation, that we are unique and that we are special. And it's not just a break-in pattern. Notice verse 27. If you, if you look down in your Bibles in verse 27, what you'll notice is it's, it's what well, it sticks out. It doesn't flow in the regular narrative. It's actually a stanza. It's put out, and it looks like perhaps poetry. And Kent Hughes says, this is the first poem in all the Bible. So God has been telling us the story in narrative form, how he made everything, and then all of a sudden he breaks and he writes a poem. Or you could say he stops and he begins to sing. Like I've been doing, here's all the world, now I'm going to stop and I'm going to sing you a song about my most prized possession. And here's the song that I'm going to sing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female, he created them. So he doesn't just break the pattern to show it's been building to this. He actually sets a poem. He sets a song so that everybody listening, everyone reading knows, hey, this is the point of creation. This is what it's been leading to, this creation of mankind in my image. And notice, it's male and female. We're going to talk about that next week. What does it mean that we're male and female, and how do men and women uniquely mirror God? But for now, we see that it's both. It's men and women. Mankind bear the image and likeness of God. So you, you see it, even reading it and hearing it and looking at it, you see the main event is day six, the creation of human beings. Which means, number one, humans alone bear the image of God. That's point number one for you to, to know. You alone bear the image of God. Ten years ago, there was a story, uh, Harambe, the gorilla. You probably remember this. There was a kid who fell into um, his pen at a zoo. And so a little kid, two or three years old, falls into a gorilla silverback named Harambe. And so what do you do in that moment? Like there's a kid now with a gorilla. We don't know what the gorilla is going to do. Is the gorilla going to attack? Is the gorilla going to be friendly? Is the gorilla going to eat the kid? We're, we're not sure. Nobody knew. So in sort of just a few moments the leadership of the zoo decided to shoot the gorilla in order to save the kid from potential death. And if you were around 10 years ago, you know that it was a dumpster fire after that. Like there was so much controversy, so many headlines. Like at first it was like, kid is saved. And then like the next day it's like, well, why did gorilla die? And then it was all these... Articles and opinions on why did we shoot the gorilla? Was the gorilla innocent? Was the gorilla guilty of a crime? Did the gorilla deserve to die? Shouldn't we have just looked at both of these? Maybe the kid deserved to die. He's the one that fell into the pen. And so we had this cultural moment where we all had to figure out what what is right. Do you shoot a gorilla to save a kid? Or do you just let the two go at it and see who lives? And we had to sort of have that conversation. Well, Genesis 1 settles the issue. You always shoot the gorilla. Every time. It's not a question. It's not a decision. You know, boy bears the image of God, gorilla does not. Gorilla dies every time. Not a discussion. I was uh, reading about a professor. He says every year he poses the same question to his class. And the question is this. If your dog was drowning and a stranger was drowning, and you can only save one, who would you save? Your dog or a stranger you don't know? I mean, I got a dog named Grizzy. She cuddled with me this morning. Like, I was typing up my notes at 5 a.m. She comes and snuggles in my chair. I love Grizzy. So the question is, man, would I, would I save Grizzy or would I save the stranger? I don't know. Never met and they said, so the class is usually always a split. A third of the students pick the dog. A third of the students pick the stranger. And a third of the students say they just can't decide. They don't know what they would do. And that, that's probably pretty general. Like, maybe be unsure. Like, we're, we don't know. Well, let's just be clear. As Christians, Genesis 1 settles the case. You let your dog drown. And you save the stranger. Every time. No question. But I, lo- I know, I love my dog too, but guess what? My dog does not bear the image of God. Strangers do. People that I don't even know bear the image of God, which means they have value, dignity, and worth from God. They are God's crown jewel of his creation. We save the people and let the animals die. Genesis 1 is very clear on this. And we've got to make sure that we are very clear that we see human beings. Yes, we are in some ways linked to the world. I mean, we were made from dust like animals are. So we are linked in some ways. But also, we have the very breath of God, as we're going to see in chapter 2. And we're made in his image, which makes us, yes, we're like the earth and we're like animals. But we are also very unlike. We bear the image of God, us alone. Which also means some things about us that we love, even though maybe our friends don't believe the Bible or God, they also love the things that the Bible actually teaches, like things like human rights. Most of us like the idea that humans have rights that there are some things that humans just have rights. In fact, it's in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equally, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, we in a sense love that, like that we have been given rights by our creator. No one can take them away. They, They were gifts, But the problem is, if you take away God and you take away image-bearing from God, then it's just all made up. Like, if there's no creator and we don't bear his image, then human rights are a made-up category. We're just evolved animals that decided, hey, we should have some rights, but guess what? It's made up, it's imaginary, and we can all disagree and rearrange those rights however we want, I can respect your rights or not because you made them up and I made them up and there's no foundation for those human rights. But see, none of us believe that. We all believe somehow there's human rights and the reason is because it's actually true that we were made by God in his image. Therefore, we do have human rights because God made us and we uniquely bear rights. His image There's a book that I want to read It's called The Air We Breathe One of my friends, Jackson Greer, is reading it and He's been telling me about it So it's on my to-do list Uh, But I watched some videos from the guy And he says this And I love what he says He says, the extraordinary impact of Christianity Is seen in the fact that we don't even notice it And what he's talking about is Western culture So Western culture has a lot of values Things like freedom and equality and progress and rights. I mean, all these things that like just Western civilization has values. The problem is we have no idea where we got those values from. It's just the air we breathe. It's just everything we know. Of course we have rights and of course we should have freedom and of course there should be equality. It's just a general assumption. And the reason is, is because the air we breathe is a leftover of Christianity, The air we breathe is what the Bible has taught us. The air we breathe is what Christ has brought us. But now we are forgetting those things, so we want freedom and rights apart from Christ, apart from a biblical worldview. The problem is they don't exist apart from Christ or a biblical worldview. They're imaginary. They're not real. So we've got to be the people that root the things we love in actual reality, and that is, guess what? The Bible tells us. We have rights and freedom. And that we should fight for certain things because, guess what? We are unique. We are different. We're made in the image of God. It's not just the air we breathe. It's the truth about who we are. And we've got to be the people that remind those around us that the world they enjoy is one that's brought from a Christian world view. We are image bearers of God. So the second thing, so the first thing we see is that we are uniquely people who bear the image of God. And then secondly is this, as image bearers, we rule God's creation. So notice, right after telling us remain the image of God, here's what uh, Genesis says. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, livestock, all the earth, and all the creeping things. So let us, man, have dominion over all the world. Like God made it, and now he has given us the right to rule over it. So let's think about big picture. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Here's the big picture, and then we are get a lot of like details, and, uh, but here's the big picture, okay? Big picture. Here's what it means for you to be in the image of God. You were made to reflect God and to rule on God's behalf. That's big picture what it means that you're made in the image of God. That God made you with this purpose, that you would represent him. That you would be his little living, breathing statue walking around planet Earth and that when people see you and bump into you and get to know you, do you know who they're getting to know and bumping into? God. They're seeing who God is, how God would react, how God would love, how God would forgive, how God would be patient, how God would make a decision. You are reflecting God. Like a mirror. When you stand in front of a mirror, guess what? It reflects you. That's what a mirror does. We were made as mirrors that we reflect our creator. So then people see us. They don't just see us. They see things about our God. That's what it means to represent God. To be his little walking statue that when people bump into you, they're like, oh, that's how God would act. That's what God would say. That's what God would do. That's what we were made for. Now we're going to see, something's went terribly wrong. It's called the fall and sin, and we don't do this very well, but we're talking about Genesis 1 and 2. The two chapters of the Bible that are perfect, there's two more in the end. The last two chapters of Genesis, everything else is a bunch of messy middle. But we're in the perfect stage. It's all good so far. That's what we're made to do, to represent God, but not just that, also to rule on behalf of God. I mean, check it out. God made an entire planet and then put you and me in charge of it. It's like your dad giving you the keys to his favorite sports car. It's like, hey, go take it for a drive. Are you, are, are you sure? <laughs> like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Yep, go. But you know, when driving that sports car, there's some, there's some rules here. Like, I'm, this is dad's. I don't get to do whatever I want. I'm going to drive it like dad would drive it. That's what God has given to us. He made the whole world and then he said, now you human beings who bear my image, you rule over it. You have dominion over everything that I've created. You rule the world under me, which means here's what it means to be in the image of God. You're supposed to rule the world how God would rule the world. And some of you are like, well, I don't, have, I don't rule the world. Like I'm, I'm sort of a nobody. Well, you know what you do rule? You rule a portion of the world. Like there's a, a part of the world that you rule. You have authority over. You have leadership over. You have things that belong to you. You own a few things. And maybe you're a kid and you're like, I don't anything. Well, you, you like have your bed maybe. You're like, well, I share a room with my siblings. I don't even want my a room. Well, let's talk about your bed, okay? You own your bed and maybe you have authority over like the dog. Like dad says, I can't tell my sister what to do, but I can tell the dog what to do. So let's start with bed and dog. How do you rule over bed and dog? in the way that God rules over the universe. Well, for one, I'd make sure I'd make my bed like every day because I'm doing it for the glory of God. Some of you parents say amen to your kids, like, yes, amen, this is good. Listen to this guy talk. Keep talking. How about picking up our room? Let's go there. Picking up our room. We are, we're trying to rule the world how God would rule the world. But then you extend it into our work and the things that we own and things we do, the way we mow our yards, the way we, everything that we do is supposed to be an extension of how God would rule the planet. I don't own it, but I'm a steward of it. He's left me in charge of it. And the way I rule is the way God rules. So we use the world, but we don't exploit the world. We do things that would be Christ honoring and how we take and use the things that God has given us. So the big idea, you were made to reflect God and you were made to rule under God. So let's just think about, okay, what does it mean then to, like, details, like, give us a little more about what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does does it even mean to be human? I mean, that's a good question to ask right now. Like, what does it even mean to be human? Because we're, like, super confused. Like, if you ask, like, what does it mean to be a woman... Or what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a human being? Like we're all sort of confused on all of those questions. And Genesis 1 and 2 actually answer all of those. So how do you answer the question, what does it mean to be a woman or a man or a human being? You start here. You start with image of God because God made man, that's mankind, in his image. So the starting point is we are image bearers of God. That's the starting definition. That's where we find our home, thinking about us in the image of God. When we strafe, it's like a train finds its home where? On train tracks. When you remove a train from the train tracks, the train doesn't go very well. That's us apart from our maker. That's us apart from God. You have to put us in our proper context. That is, we know everything about ourselves in relation to who made us. God made us in his very image. So we have to start there. We're image bears of God. That's the most important part of your identity. So think about your identity. That's a big topic today. What is our identity? What's your identity? Can you change your identity? The most important and foundational part of your identity is this. You bear the image and likeness of God. That's, that's the core of who you are as a human being. You bear the image of God. So let's think about image of God just from a church history perspective. What did other historians throughout the church think about image of God? We'll start with uh, Arenus in uh, 130 to 200 AD. Uh, he believed this, that image of God... After the fall, it remained. We're still in the image of God, but the likeness of God faded away at our fall. And what Jesus does in salvation, he brings back the likeness of God. So we're made like God again at salvation, but we lose that in the fall. Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s, he would see image of God as primarily our intellect, our reasoning, the way we think. We're thinking beings. That sets us apart from the animal kingdom. So it's how we're unlike the animal kingdom in our thinking that makes us image of God. Then you have John Calvin, 1500s. No image of God. It's not just the intellect. It's more about man's soul. We are eternal beings. We can pray. We can have conversations with God. We can contemplate God. We have a spirit. That's what makes us image of God. Then you have Karl Barth uh, in the 1800s. He would say, no, it's about the relationship. It's that male and female together. That's what makes us image of God. And you have uh, Emil Brunner, who died in the 60s who says, no, it's not a relationship with man and woman. It's our relationship to God that makes us primarily image of God. Now, I would say that none of these are like wrong things, but all of them are in some ways limiting what it means to be in the image of God. It's not one thing or another. It is the totality of who we are. We are made in the image of God. So again, what exactly does that mean? I'll give you a few like simple definitions of image of God from a few theologians. Wayne Grudem says this, the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. So, like God represents God. Um, Anthony Hoken would say it means that we reflect him like a mirror, and that means we represent him or we rule over the world on behalf of him. Bruce Ware, we're images of God in order to image God. Like That's what, that's what it means. We're images of God, and the point is we image God. That's what we do. Uh, Uh, Inc. says this, man does not simply bear or have the image of God, he is the image of God. And I think that's an important distinction. We don't just bear God's image. You don't just bear God's image. You don't just resemble God. You are his image. You are his likeness. It's part of who you are in the core of your being. You are an image bearer of God. Now let's think a little bit more about how the people that Moses is writing to would have thought through image of God. Because it's kind of interesting. Like here God says to presumably the Israelites coming out of Egyptian slavery, he's retelling them how they got here, how God's created, how God made the world, and he starts talking to them about creation. And then he just tells them, and by the way, I made you in my image and my likeness, but there's no like definition, God doesn't tell us what exactly that means. And so the presumption is the people who heard it would have known it. Like they would have already heard language, image of God. And so I want to um, just uh, go through a little dialogue from Peter Gentry and David Wellham. They wrote a book called God's Kingdom Through God's Covenant. And in it, they talk about, if you want to think about what image of God would have meant to them, you have to look at the culture they're living in. And think about, okay, when it came to their culture, how did they interpret image of God? And then you have to compare and contrast it to what God is saying in the Bible. And then you'll have a fullness of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. So what was their context? Well, guess what? The Pharaohs had a title that, guess what? They were the image of God. So every pharaoh who is a king, he is the image of God. In fact, we have several uh, inscriptions, uh, one from um, 1600 BC that would say about a pharaoh. um, It says this, a living statue of such and such God. So a pharaoh is literally a living statue of so and so God. That's who the pharaoh was. He's in the likeness of that God. He's in the image of that God. And in fact, what we see is like Ramsey II, for instance, uh, they would set up his image. So I'll actually put a, a picture on the screen. So here's a, a river in Egypt that you see these uh, images that are set up. And so what that means is Ramsey II, who's this big image, well, he's in the likeness of this God, which means he is the son of God on earth. And being the son of God... In the image of that God, he gets to rule over this part of the world on behalf of that God. So wherever he is or wherever his image is, there is sonship and there is kingship over this part of the world. So if you're in a boat and you come around the corner and you see that, guess what you know? If I'm going to fish here, I've got to ask this guy's permission because that dude rules this place. And that dude doesn't just rule it. Guess what? His God rules it. He's in the image of this God, and this God's going to be angry and do something crazy if I fish here without permission, so I'm going to go ask bro if I can fish here. It's about authority. It's about power. It's about I own this because I'm in the image of that God, and I'm in the likeness of that God. I'm the son, and I'm the ruler of this area. So think about it. That's how they understand image of God. So image of God, it's one person at a time. It's the king at that time. That king is in the likeness of God because he's the son of that God. And he bears the image of that God, meaning he gets to rule on behalf of that God. So that's the comparison. Now let's do the contrast. So Moses is saying, um, hey people, I'm telling you that God didn't just make one of you in his image, God made all of you in his image. Every single one of you, every single person on the planet, guess what, bears the image and likeness of God. So you know what that gives all of us? It gives all of us sonship. That all of us are like God. We are sons and daughters of God. We are children of God in our likeness. And then in our image, as image bearers, guess what? We all get to rule the world under God. There's not just one Pharaoh. There's not just one king. All of us are kings and queens under the true king of kings. This would have been explosive for them. Like they would have kind of understand image of God. Yeah, it's one dude who gets to rule. No, image of God is all of you everywhere. You all bear the image of the high king who created the cosmos. That means all of you are sons and all of you get to rule under him and show the world what he's like. So that's what it meant to bear the very image of God. It's not just one person, it's all of us. So let's think through those things a little bit different. Let's think of likeness and image. Let's think of likeness and the fact that it means that we are sons of God. Notice what we see in Genesis 5.1. We're going to get this, this language of likeness. And this idea that we reflect God as his sons and daughters. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So God made man in his likeness. We're going to see that's about sonship. There's a connection there. And notice, male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, what? In his own likeness. What does that mean about Seth? Seth is Adam's son. Why? Because he's in his likeness. We are sons. We have sonship because we are in the likeness of God. And after his image, he named him Seth. Seth. So we see this connection, that likeness is speaking about, hey, Seth is a son of Adam because he's in his likeness. And guess what? Adam is a son of God in his likeness. Therefore, by extension, Seth is also a son of God in his likeness. So it means that all of us have sonship, that all of us are sons and daughters of the high king. And then we go to this idea of image. An image means that we get to rule on God's behalf. We don't just represent him. We also get to rule on his behalf. So we're going to look at Psalm 8 because Psalm 8, David gives us commentary on Genesis 1:27. Notice what Psalm 8 says this in verse 5. Yet you have made him, that's man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. Notice the language of kingship. We're crowned, a crown, who wears a crown? A king. We have glory, we have honor, we're given dominion over the works of all that God does and all things are put under our feet. That is ruler language, that's king language, that's conquering language, that's who we are. Why do we get to be kings? Why do we get to be queens? Because we're made in the image of God and wherever the image of God is, that's where God rules. See, we have similar things, like think about our ambassadors to the United States. I looked up this morning, like 5.30, the list of our ambassadors, a whole big list of all these various countries we have ambassadors in. And you can look up the country, maybe it's Brazil, you can look up the ambassador in Brazil, and what happens is that person is not there just representing themselves, they're representing the United States of America. In a lot of ways, they're representing our president in that space and time where they're at. They are doing what we would do as Americans, what our president would do if he was there in that place. That's what God is saying. He he gave us his image so that wherever we are, that's where God rules. Think about Nebuchadnezzar when he set up an image on the plane. What was the image about? That's where Nebuchadnezzar rules. So bow down and worship the image. Why? Because the image is Nebuchadnezzar. The image is an extension of his likeness and his rulership. That's you and that's me. Everywhere we are, we get to rule over the world in good ways like God would rule it. That's our privilege. That's our right. That's what God has done for us. And notice this image of God, it comes with commands. Notice in verse 28, it says this And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, the birds, and every living thing that moves. So here we have this, this cultural mandate, as theologians call it. So God blesses them, and then he says, uh, Be fruitful and multiply. Code for get married and have babies. It's good. You should do that. And do you know why? Why we should get married and why we should have babies? Because we were made in the image of God, male and female. And you know what's really cool? God did that once with Adam and Eve. And then he says, Adam and Eve, now you go and make more image bearers of God. You together make babies. And guess what? Those babies are image bearers of God. That's why when we get to show a little baby and all of you are like, aw. That's an all moment because you know what? Brother Ricky's holding an image bearer of God. We get to make more image bearers of God. So he says, hey, get married and have babies. Be fruitful, multiply. But not only multiply, he says, and fill the earth. Why should we fill the earth with babies? And why should their babies get married and have more babies? Why should we fill the earth with human beings? Because human beings bear the image of God. And you know what God wants over the whole earth? His glory. You know how he gets his whole glory on the whole earth? By human beings bearing his image all over the world. And this is part of the Great Commission. Guess what we get to do now? We've fallen, but guess what we get to do? We get to go there for and make disciples. We get to renew people in the image of God all over the world so that all over the globe, guess what? The image of God would reside so that everywhere you see people, you see who God is and how God rules. Like that's the glory Of the beginning, that's the glory of the gospel. Not only fill it, but then that word subdue it. That means to take all the raw material that God has made and twist it, mold it, move it. Take a tree and cut it down and build something with the wood. Figure out how to make concrete and make something cool. Build culture, build buildings, twist, subdue, act. And guess what? Have dominion. That means to rule as kings and queens over all that I have made. That God's given us permission not just to keep things the way they are, but to make things better. To produce and do and move and reflect him and rule like he rules. Now the question is, is this still true of us? Because we haven't got to Genesis 3, but we're getting there. You know what Genesis 3 tells us? There's been a great fall. And guess what? We don't do well at imaging God. We don't do well at ruling on God's behalf. So what do we do as far as now? Like, has the image of God been lost? Or is it just been distorted? Because what we see in day six is God actually says, hey, verse 31, it's now very good. Like when Adam and Eve were created, now human beings are here in my image, now it's very good. Like Bambi and Wally, the point is people are bad. Like people kill Bambi's dad, and that's a bad thing. And Wally sees that, guess what? Human beings are pretty bad slobs who litter a lot, so the world would be better if we all disappeared. That's kind of a cultural narrative. Hey, the problem is humans. The problem is not humans. We were part of God's very good world in the beginning. Now, humans are problems because guess what? We have fallen, Like Pascal says, we're both the glory and the garbage of the universe. And it's absolutely true. We do the best of things, and we do the worst of things. So the question is, do we still bear the image of God? Do we still represent Him and rule under Him, or has all that been erased by the fall? And here's what we're going to see. The Bible tells us that the image of God has been distorted. It has not been destroyed. That we still all bear the image of God, even though we do it poorly i'll give you some scripture to show this uh for instance genesis 9:6, uh murder deserves the death penalty because humans are still made in the image of god james 3:9 says this with it that's our tongue we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness that's new testament after the fall guess what people are made in the likeness of god that's why we can't curse people we can't talk down to people because every person has value dignity and worth why Not because of how smart they are, how good they are. We agree with your political person. No, because they bear the image and likeness of God. Everybody deserves respect, dignity. They have worth because everyone's made in the image. That's after the fall. So it's been distorted. It's not been destroyed. And here's the good news of the gospel that Jesus is renewing the image of God in us. Notice Colossians chapter three, verse 10. It says this, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's the story of the gospel. When we come to know Jesus Christ, you know what happens? When we repent and believe in the Lord, there is a renewing of the image of God that starts to take place in our life. We start to look more and more like Jesus, who is the perfect image of God. That's what the gospel brings to us. So yes, we're distorted, we do all sorts of crazy, wicked things. But when we come to Jesus, God begins to make us new. God begins to make us different. So if you're a believer, here's the path you're on. Every day, you're being renewed more and more into the image you were meant to be. Every day, you're getting a little bit better, a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit more like God, or, or at least you should. Through repentance and faith, daily, you're being renewed more and more to be and act and rule like God rules. So right now, through the gospel, we are being renewed into this image. But it's not just that we're going to be being renewed forever. There's actually going to be a resurrection. I love Colossians, or I love 1 Corinthians, what it says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Like right now, we bear that image that, that Adam gave us. It's broken, it's marred, it's distorted. Though it's not, not destroyed, it's just distorted. Jesus, he's renewing it in us. But one day there's gonna be a resurrection. There's gonna be a new heavens and new earth. And guess what? We are gonna perfectly and again image and rule how God is. We're gonna show who God is and we're gonna rule like God is. That's the future we're going in. But right now as believers, we get to be renewed and we get to do it day by day. We get to show the world who God is. So an explosive statement. Crown jewel of creation. Guess what? You're made in the image of God. So here's here's some questions as we end. Number one is this. um, Do you believe you're made in the image of God? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe you're the crown jewel of God's creation, that God formed you and he breathed in you the breath of life and and you are a special creation he knitted you together in your mother's womb he loves you and you are in his image and guess whatever the person on the planet is too like that's important too not just you are but every person on the planet also bears the image of god therefore every person deserves your respect every person has value dignity and worth Do you really believe that? And then, secondly, and we're gonna have the band, they're gonna go ahead and come and get ready because they're gonna sing a a closing song for us. The second question is this um, Are you representing God well? Like you were made, here's your purpose to represent God to the world, to show who God is to everybody you come in contact with, the way you talk, the way you walk your attitude, everything, you're supposed to reflect like a mirror who God is. So the question is, how are you doing? Are you giving an accurate picture of who God is to the people around you, the people you come in contact with? Are you representing God well? And then lastly, you were created to rule. That's what image means. It means to rule. Wherever you are, that's where God rules. Are you ruling your little part of the world? That's your job, that's your hobby, that's your house, that's your dorm room, that's your friendships, that's all the space of authority that you have. Are you ruling that in a way that God would rule it? A way that cares for nature, a way that is good to your neighbor, a way that is loving and honoring to Him? Or are you just ruling however you want to? Is life selfishly all about you? So, those are three questions. Do you really believe you and everyone else bears the image of God? Are you reflecting him in a good way? And lastly, are you ruling the world on behalf of him that it shows this is exactly how God would do that? Now, I can imagine all of us in some ways are saying, man, I don't do all those things right. That's what now is about. That's what response is about. Because what we're going to do, we're going to sing a whole song. So you got like four minutes to respond. If you need to come pray to the altar, you can do that. If you need to come find one of us and talk about salvation, you can do that. If you just need to, to sit down as we're all worshiping and pray, if you just need to just worship the Lord, you do what you need to do in this time. But let's start with all standing as we get in a posture of worship. Um, and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond. Father, we love you. We thank you for making us in your image. We pray now as your image bears that we would reflect you and that we would rule after you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.